I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are with part two with John Polono. Please make sure to see Small Engine Repair in theaters now and on video on demand on October 1st. Here we go, guys. Love you, John. John Polono, welcome to Nacture Spares. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? It's good to have you back, man. How are you doing? It's good to be back. <laughs> been We're a while. Here. It's been uh it's weird thinking that time I came out to see the film. You know, man, it was like that the last few months before we had before the world ended, sort of, so to speak, you know. And uh man, you know how much this narrative has been a huge part of my life and how much it's changed mine and what a big fan I am of, of the play. And for those listening, I, I highly recommend that you you read the play either before or after the film. And I think it'll, it'll give you an interesting lens into it. And uh, I'm so excited that it's finally coming out, man. And the world gets to see it. And how, how do you feel, dude? Um, you know, it's, it's look, uh, it's complicated. Um, you know, it's been so long and it sucks that <laughs> the pandemic sort of put a pause on things, but you know, look, there, there, there are people suffering a lot worse than a, an indie film distribution. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to get it out. Yeah. You know, there's the growing, there's the pain of just getting it out after all this time and all this setup and, and the release being so much different than how I had anticipated, which was like festivals and people in person. I mean, you saw like the only screening we did. Yeah. And you didn't even see a final film. And it was like low res, but it was just like, you know, some family and friends to see it. That was, you know, uh, I'm so glad you got to see that. But it was a great you know, night, man. We haven't had that opportunity. We did a drive in, which was not obviously it was really cool. But, you know, you're all separated. You're not yeah. <clears throat> feeling it. And, <clears throat> you know, the the movie like the play <clears throat> is very much designed for a communal experience. <clears throat> 100%. And, and part of the fun is 
the dynamic shifting among the, the audience as the, as the dynamic shifts in the play and in, in the movie. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really happy it's getting out. I, I, I just want it out there. I think, you know, I just want people to discover it and, and uh, you know, hopefully see it safely in a theater while it runs in theaters and then, you know, just have it out there and, yeah. uh, you know, see what happens. And, and for those listening, I got to say, this is part two. We did part one literally right after that screening. And so yeah. it's, you know, that that was a very deep dive in that interview. So in this one, I wanted to go a little bit different direction, man. I, sure. I, I'd love for you to talk about the process of, you know, last time we spoke, you had done the film and we spoke a bit about the film, but I'd love to talk about the post-process in a COVID pandemic and what that has done for you. And obviously the show is called An Actor Despairs. And for so long, you know, there was just a gigantic fucking question mark around this business and when and if we could ever do the thing that we love to do, which is like, you know, Broadway or a movie theater and experience it with a fellow, you know, peer or, or a stranger. You know, I prefer strangers myself. And uh, what, how do you navigate something like that when you're you got a pretty much like a, it was a it was going to go to festival cut. Right. Yeah, we we finished the final film color timed at Technicolor the morning that South by Southwest was canceled. Yeah. fuck. <laughs> Which the writing was kind of on the wall. <clears throat> it initially was like, Hey, this festival is coming up. I wonder if this COVID thing is going to, going to fuck it up. And then as we got closer, one of our producers who had a, a kidney transplant was like, listen, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm not gonna be able to go. And we were heartbroken over that. And then like a week later, it was like, Oh shit. And then we finished that morning and then, and they called it off. And look, the initial, sting of that was dwarfed by you know the global pandemic of course yeah <laughs> um but you know it's hard working so intensely and passionately on something and then sort of putting it on a you know a, a virtual shelf yeah um and then we sort of waited it out to see what was going to go on and then obviously bigger things came up and you know things got put on hold i had a lot of projects that just got sort of frozen <laughs> but i just continued writing continue working <clears throat> sending the link out to friends, um, you filmmakers, people like that, very limited in scope, um, you know, getting a little bit of feedback and email, a conversation, which was nice, but obviously it's not the same thing. Yeah. And then we waited until it was like, well, shit, this thing's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. Let's, uh, and I think within the industry, there's a little bit of a, of a, with the COVID gave you a little bit of a, of a break, meaning if, you know, our movie's coming out in 2021, even though we finished it in 2020, it doesn't seem stale. It's just like, yeah, this has happened to movies. Yeah. I think if we waited another season, <clears throat> it would have had a, you know, a longer shelf life, <clears throat> maybe would have had that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. You're cool. Dig a sip of my coffee. Yeah. <clears throat> Make a good cup of coffee. <clears throat> it would have maybe had that stigma of being like, an older film. So, you know, we started to send it out. We got really great interest, but the thing that bummed me out is like, we never had that festival circuit that like traveling, which I love going to film festivals. So many films I've loved have originated in that. And, and, you know, the, the sort of vision in my head of everyday making and then the darkest moments of production and all of that was like, I can't wait to have that first real screening. Of, of the final film, the final resolution, the final color timing, the final sound mix and everything. And to just have the lights go down, sit in a theater and then experience it 
with strangers for the first who are who are witnessing it for the first time, which as a playwright, I've gotten, you know, that's the bread and butter of, of playwriting. That's the sort of goal. So there's a look, when you write a screenplay, best case scenario, and you 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 send it to the studio and then maybe a year and a half, two years you're in an audience watching it. So it takes that long to get the feedback. You know, playwriting, it's all about the audience and forming it and workshopping and figuring out and refining the moments throughout previews. And then, you know, the production moves and then you have a chance to, you know, address certain things. So it's evolving. Yeah. <laughs> it's constantly having that, that feedback loop with an audience. <clears throat> and this material obviously had that. So it was strange to have it like suddenly, suddenly put on pause and, and you know, be very proud of the work and be excited about that. So that, that sucked. Yeah. You know, that you can't get that back. It's not coming back in, in a profound way. I mean, it seemed like, you know, and then we <clears throat> sold to Vertical, who was super passionate about it, had all these great ideas for a rollout, which is awesome. And, and here we are, you know, we're going to be on, I think, you know, like between 150 and 200 theaters. I mean, it's amazing. It's a wow. dream come true. That's insane. But, um, and when we did that during a window, it was like vaccines come and people go back to the movies. And now, you know, we release next weekend and I don't know what that'll look like. I don't know yeah. how that, how that will be. And I mean, all movies are suffering. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is, but you know, you get that chance to, to, to kind of go out there and then we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, you do a play, you got to see it in person, obviously, but this is something, I mean, look, people can discover it in the years to come and you sort of put it out there, which is, it's just a different thing. Yeah. You know, it's just a different sensation. Totally. Um, and it, it's different than my expectations of, like I said, 3 a.m., you're fucking exhausted and you're like, oh, shit, I just got to do this because that light at the end of the tunnel is going to be in that audience. And me and John and Shay and everybody, you know, Jennifer and everyone, we're all sitting there enjoying it and looking up on the screen and, you know, just celebrating it. So yeah. it's hard not to have that. Totally, man. That's so beautiful. And I'm thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious, you know, because a lot of the things that that did get into South by and Tribeca, New York did pull out, you know, because they were, you know, they tried to switch to virtual, which I personally think didn't work. And then in the following year, they did a hybrid thing. Were you just at that point done with the, the festival thing until, you know, whatever this madness is ends? Well, at that point, we had already sold to Vertical, ah, and sort of a it. different thing. And, you know, we got into South by, we had the laurels, so there was no other reason to do it. It's a little tricky in the streaming of um, movies for festivals. There's like, because they're not used to that. That's that's a precedent. So like some of the language and some of the contracts, like, you know, we've already streamed it for free. And yeah. it, 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 it can it can fuck with your, your deal. Wow. But we just we didn't have a real need to do that. Their the verticals release strategy was much more ambitious than that. I, look, I think if festivals were healthy and doing the the normal thing, I think we would have you know invested more in that route. But it just you know it just wasn't to be. I mean, now they're kind of doing it a little more, I guess. Like Venice had a bunch of stuff, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if people are going to that. I don't know what's going on there. It was just, it was too much of a risk and it, we'd already been there and we were exhausted. So you had to bet on a horse. So we bet on this one. Yeah, totally, man. And it's so interesting too, you know, the social media element is is not a spoiler by any means and, and seeing it roll out for the promotion of this film and the kind of meta commentary right. on the whole thing is is brilliant. And for those who are, are you know, haven't seen or have seen, it's, it's, Genius. And what I think that I wonder, you know, is, is for something like this, man, you know, 
did you have a strategy, a marketing plan, like an idea of how to, to market something like this? Because this, this piece is so unique and it's so its own and it's great. And I can imagine that a lot of motherfuckers are just so, so, so scared of just being safe these days. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, I had a great marketing department through Vertical and, yeah. and we were very collaborative in that. But at the end of the day, they are the ones <clears throat> making those marketing decisions. <clears throat> there, you can make a great movie that's difficult to market. And you can make a shitty movie that's easy to market. <clears throat> so, you know, this is this is a challenging movie to market because it's sort of multi-genre. Yeah. It's a slow burn. It's a, you know, it's a number of things. Bait and switch, yeah. yeah I mean, it's twisty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really a very heartfelt drama with pitch black comedy. And then there's a thriller element. And it all sort of, it's like a slow burn. Uh, you know, I, the movie, the play, and even more so the movie was designed you know, to, to fit into like those great seventies movies that we all love so much that were sort of, you know, provocative and dangerous and funny and, and, and intense and thought provoking and all that stuff. So that's hard to market. Hey, thought provoking all that yeah. shit. And I think they did a really good job in, in getting it out there, but you know, it's, it's going to be word of mouth. I mean, I think like the play, it's like, you know, you saw the play and you, when you, when we were off Broadway and you went home and you were like, look at your, you look at your contacts and you're like, Oh, I know, you know, Mary would love this. Yeah, Joe would love totally. this. Like Nancy, she's a little, nah, she probably yeah. is not her thing, but you know, and then that's when you start getting the audience that really gravitates towards it. It's like, I think probably like putting out an album, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. That's a great analogy, man. I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm so curious then because the cinematography in this film is incredible, especially, you know, knowing where you shot it and where it's supposed to be. It's, it's immaculate. What was it like for you, you know, being a first time filmmaker and then going in and I, I, I know you had an editor, but like having to edit your own work, you know, because like for me, yeah. when I do something, it's so hard for me to remove myself from it, like ego wise, because like it's just one of those things where it's like. I can't truly feel like it be, I can't be objective because I'm just so emotionally involved and I know what went into that take and that take yeah. was that. So what was that process like, especially having had the play, you know, like this lands there and like trying to kind of breathe life or, or let it exist in new ways that it might not have in the play. Well, you know, I got some really good <clears throat> advice one of the best being that, like, I think I got it from Arnold Schwarzenegger, believe it or not. Not directly. I'm just like, oh, I picked yeah. it up a little bit. <laughs> so let me, let me preface that. Yeah. I never spoke to Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it was a, I spoke to some real badass directors. I spoke to, and I've known so many. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of, like, I like to just yeah. take in stuff and see what works. One thing that Arnold Schwarzenegger said at one point, I think it was him. Who the fuck knows? We'll credit him. Was like, yeah, hire true. the best people and get out of the way. And then and one of the directors I talked to as well echoed that sentiment. So you really have to hire the best and then trust them. And I was very lucky in that everyone from the actors to the DP to the, to the crew, everyone was fucking great at their job. Yeah. And I know the material. I had a vision for it. I knew it. But you have to, like, trust the people you're with and kind of get out of their way and help guide them. So that was another thing someone said to me is like, you're going to discover what kind of director you are. 
And I'm just a very collaborative director who, you know, I wanted to in, in, in sort of take a page from David Gordon Green, who directed Stronger, who's a good David friend. Gordon Green. He's the best. And, yeah. you know, I've shadowed him during Stronger and just like knowing I was going to direct someday, <clears throat> really try to take it in. But one thing I really like that he did is that he keeps everybody he, he knows how to create a set that take, gets the best out of everybody. And his actors are like ripe with creative energy <clears throat> and they feel a lot of uh, um, say in, in how things go yeah. um, under the pretense of like you're steering them. And, you know, you, you can imagine with this cast and everybody, that's what it was. So when we're editing, it's an embarrassment of riches because it was cast so well and shot so well and all that stuff very few times i mean look there are scenes and sequences where due to money or time or weather yeah. you have a very little bit like the opening sequence i think i told you the story about that it was not shot as written but it was like a gift because it ended up deepening the whole movie and totally. and like the majority of the footage we shot in that opening sequence we used so there were some times you had to do some trickery with the editing and all that stuff. But the most times, you know, for the real impactful emotional moments, you had a huge variety of stuff you could do. I mean, look, it was hard cutting scenes and sequences that I love and that just didn't fit into it. That's always hard. But as a writer, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I just had to, like, let it take a life of its own and really... You know, I had a great team. The, the producers I worked with had done a lot more stuff than I have. You know, my partner in this in many ways is, you know, Bernthal, who is fucking just a he's a such a, a, a smart guy and so talented. But, you know, I know he works on a lot of stuff and sometimes he's frustrated because he has these ideas and then people are like, no, no, no don't do this. Stand there and do that. Yeah. But I was always so collaborative with him on every step of the way. And, you know, he, the, he and I don't have a he's like, look, you're directing this. But like, I love it too. Let's work together. And I would just hear people out and John would be like, what about this? And I'd be like, all right, let's try it. And, you know, a lot of times he's fucking right. Sometimes it's not. And I'm going for something different. But that's sort of what I did is I really took in all of the feedback and all of the people I trusted and, 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 and would try it. And ultimately, creative Darwinism, whatever worked best, not my ego, not what I wanted, but whatever worked best under the idea of I'm steering it towards, you know, my vision of what it was. Um, and I thought that made me very comfortable because I thought I was intimidated by the fact that the expectation would be that I would know exactly what to do at every given moment. And a lot, sometimes I did. And sometimes more often than not, I was like, let's discover this together. Let's let it evolve. Let's give it, it has a life of its own. Yeah. And, and that was true during the whole process. Yeah. So I feel like it lent the film, the final film, a level of like immediacy and authenticity that didn't feel so invented and feel so forced into the narrative. I mean, you'll see one of the, as someone who has performed the play and knows the play very well, I'm sure you see a lot of the zinger funny or show-stopping lines from the play in the movie and they're thrown away. Maybe you don't even hear them or notice them. They're totally. there, but it's just so much more naturalistic and grounded or as opposed to, you know, internalized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's there, but it's almost more done. I, I think, the movie ended up taking a much darker minor chord. Yeah, that's what um, I was going to say. You know, that's what impressed. I didn't know how this movie, to be blunt, would adapt from a play to a movie and if it could be done well. And when I was with you guys at that screening, I was like, this this succeeded in all levels and in ways I didn't even think like possible to to create. 
And I'm just so proud of you, man. I mean, I well, thanks. Appreciate that. It, it, especially knowing the narrative from seeing you do it with, you know, badge and, and James, and then, you know, me doing it and then seeing it done. And it's just like, it's immortal, man. And, and this way, this film is, it's just so wonderful. I'm curious, you know, for the listeners out there, because the people that tend to listen to my show, you know, are, are very supportive and, and, listen sometimes to believe it or not what I have to say, what would you have a, someone do who's going to see the film? Would you have them read the play first, see the film or see the film, then read the play? If, if I, I think I, if I, if it was up to me, I'd have them see the film first and then maybe yeah, read the play. Because, I agree. Uh, you know, I think it's a really good read and, and, but not everyone knows how to read a play or, or enjoys reading a play, but the, I would say watch the movie, have that singular experience. And then, you know, a completionist may enjoy reading the play um, to sort of see how it's evolved. I mean, the the I, I, that philosophy I was saying, I very much took to heart in terms of adapting as well, which was, yeah. you know, this play came out in 2011 and the technology it deals with is very specific to that thing. Totally. It's almost become like a period piece now if you perform is it, play. Yeah, Isn't that funny? <laughs> and, and you look and you're like, wow, look how much technology has changed since 2013 or whatever, yeah. which is sort of the last time I... I, I was uh, uh, editing. I edited, yeah. I edited it. When it transferred from LA to New York, I, I update, changed updated, it. Got it. Updated it to 2013. Like in the program in 2013, when it was done, it's like present day. Um, but now that's, you know, almost a decade later, how much has changed, how much has stayed the same. And, and you know, it's, it's not, it, it, I, I think it's even more informative. Whereas the movie, once again, contemporized, yeah. And the technology and the themes are more relevant now than they ever were. Um, you know, and the discussions that the that the material brings up is more relevant now than ever. And that was part of the journey of it. And, you know, for a little bit, it was like, well, do I make it a period piece? And then it's like, well, there's the financial thing is like, how do you make it authentic in such a short time ago? Yeah, and that's it was 10 like, years is, isn't enough, you know, to it, it's just like so... Yeah, it's not quite. An, I mean, it, it is, but it isn't. But it was more like I got hung up on the idea of, you know, when, when the play originally came out, the characters were like not yet 40. They were like 37. <laughs> so it was that time in your life before culture sees you as like middle aged. Yeah. And in particular, it was the, you know, the Frank character had a daughter when he was like a senior in high school. So it was like that stunted adolescence of responsibility. And it was just, that was in there. So obviously that's not relevant in the movie because the actors are all in their forties, Yeah, but it didn't matter. Like that thing, I just let that go. And it, the, the rewards of making it modern, not just, you know, uh, more feasible to do financially, but thematically and everything just, it became much more resonant to have to contort for any reason like that. And when you did this run in New York, that being that was the last run you did to play, right? That I acted in the play, correct? It was twenty thirteen. Yeah. So when I did like a reading at one point at a fundraiser, me and Bernthal and oh, nice, and uh, Michael Redfield, uh, maybe a couple of years after that. But yeah, it had been a while. That final night, did were you like? Did you know that you were going to direct that one day and adapt it, or did you not know yet? I mean. John and I had always talked about from the minute we did it at Pico Boulevard in, in LA, like for in the middle of the night, we were always like, this would be a cool movie. 
And, you know, John's career was starting out. He had, was getting about to do the second season of Walking Dead. And, you know, I was trying to get my shit together. I had like five jobs trying to pay the bills and yeah. doing PR and writing plays and screenplays and all this stuff. And it was always like, yeah, that'd be great. It, it, it seemed like a, you know, a pie in the sky. And then it just became more and more feasible. And then it took us about three years to kind of to get it all together and do do the version that we wanted to. And, you know, we got... Uh, Rick Rosenthal, who's a, a sort of the lead producer, who's done, you know, he directed Bad Boys. The guy's like oh, done tons man. of shit. So his company, he came in, they found some money, and then Peter Abrams and Noah Rothman, who's my manager, who I actually met Noah and John Bernthal the same night, which was was only the second reading of the material at my friend Roxanne Hart's house. And it's funny because the guy Packy couldn't didn't show up. So Roxanne's husband, Phil Kasnoff, who is like late fifties at the time, a uh, real handsome dude, great actor. He played Packy and he was awesome by the way. Um, so in Bernthal played Sueno in that reading and Noah was there and Noah came up to me afterwards. And at the time he was like, you know, in his mid twenties, he was working for three arts and stuff. And he's like, I really want to work with you. I'm going to be a manager. And I was like, okay, whatever kid. <laughs> now here is my manager. But you know, Noah sort of, <clears throat> one of his skills is really like, making impossible things happen, um, sort of out, out of the box shit. So he, he kind of got this all together and, you know, we were always like passionately about it, but it was like finding the time and doing it. And then, you know, like a lot of these things, I mean, it's like you, you put a play together, you talk about it, you get it, you do readings, but then until you plant that flag in the ground and you have some real funds, it's just talk. So then it became real. And, and then, then the sort of, you know, maybe about a, six seven month process of of me and john and shay rehearsing and just you know fucking with the script and, and really grinding it down and so it was almost a blessing that it took that long because as i had other deadlines and john's shooting stuff and shay shooting stuff we just kept finding times to come back together and continue to uh, refine it and for those who don't know shay was not in the original play john was you were as well <laughs> so what was it like having somebody new who's obviously an incredible actor you know did it did that really kind of lighten and, and bring life to things that you hadn't seen before in different <clears throat> iterations of Packy? Yeah, I mean, look, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that when you make an, in, an indie film, and even this movie at the budget level that it is, there's still pressure to cast names. Maybe even more so. You know, if you do a $100 million, you know, robot war movie, you know, that's special effects driven, maybe you can put fresh faces in there because, like, people aren't going to see that. They're going yeah. to see... The robot dinosaurs but in an indie movie <clears throat> to get the investors comfortable and all that you want to have recognizable names there's totally there's a great pressure so it's always a game of finding the best actors you can <laughs> obviously you have john bernthal who's like one of my best friends and one of my favorite actors of all time who checks a huge box off of that but you want to fill it out and you know of that list of people bernthal really knew shay and i hadn't really known him other than his work and he's like dude this guy's awesome he gave him the script shay flipped out over it we had a couple conversations i remember i was doing like a production rewrite in boston and he called and he's like hey man so we doing this but he and i became very friendly fast john and him had a certain rapport it became instant chemistry shay was initially you know intimidated because he's like you guys have been living in this so yeah. long like John and I start at third base just with our relationship. Right. We're not, we aren't these characters, but we have that chemistry. That's chemistry. I don't know how it was when you did the production, but like, you know, you can get great actors, but if they don't have that chemistry, 
those three guys is as important as like a romantic comedy getting it's the two leads have spots. one trillion percent. And <laughs> and the nights that it wasn't there, it things didn't land the way they should have. You know, you just have to yeah. have that. You get yeah. away with it. If, if the subtext with those three guys is love and and kinship, you start to dig deeper, and you're not like, oh, they're actors saying these lines. There's these like politically incorrect lines or whatever. But then you really get the the statement it's making, which is the movie being about love and the play being about love ultimately. So Shay came in and, I mean, as you know, Shay, I know you do. And, and his level of layered, meticulous work, you know, paint uh, brushstroke by brushstroke until it, it, it deepens and deepens was just a joy to see. So he had certain stress that we didn't have, which is he's like, he has to <laughs> invent the character in, in his version. And, you know, I've loved every cast I have acted with. You know, Michael Redfield did an incredible job as Packy. He was very funny and sort of soft and nymph-like and cuddly. You know, PJ Ransone did his version, which was like more like scrappy, like Chihuahua guy, like totally. nervous energy, yeah. which was great. And then Shay brought his version, which really dovetailed so nicely into the film because Shay's version, a lot of the sort of, humor a lot of the humor that like michael redfield would bring the house down yeah. it didn't fit in the movie and shay brought more of a he just brought in more of a grounded direction more of a layered tragic direction more complicated and in particular i had always sort of hinted at an innuendo very subtly that packy is very uh, sexually ambiguous yeah and shay really you know fearlessly went there and, and knowing shay as you do who he is, how uh, politically progressive he is, how, how interested he is in, in, in exploring those stories truthfully, he, he really went for it. And, um, you know, of the few people who have seen the show, they're like, or the movie, and they're like, uh, so pa what was that up with Packy? I was like, I'm like, I literally have him hiding in a fucking closet in the movie. <laughs> how do you not understand the sort yeah. of, the oh, subtlety we're I'm doing? You know what I mean? But so Shay's layered, unfucking believable work. So he, you show up and the camera starts rolling and it's just, he's, he is that guy. Yeah. And John and I, like those three performances really in terms of a director and a performer, they're all orbiting around each other. Yeah. So it's like, you just socket them in and then everybody, there's an organic process where those three performances start to uh, adjust yeah. Uh, around each other. And, and Shay, I mean, like there were some big laugh lines in the play that as we're rehearsing or even on the day, Shay will do them. And he's like, I gotta be honest, it's just not feeling right. Yeah. And look, some actors will tell you that. And you're like, you're being fucking lazy. It's not that with Shay. It's like, he is so far beyond lazy that he's like, listen, I'm telling you, I will do the work and lasso this line in and make it as organic as I can. But I'm feeling it. It just feels false narratively. In nine times out of 10, he was right. And I started to, some of those bigger laugh lines went away or were thrown away. Yeah. And his humor and pathos of his performance really creates a, a, just a beautiful, heartfelt performance. Um, so, that was so beautifully put. I, re I really completely agree with that. And I'm curious then, man, you know, we spoke about this in the first episode, but, you know, once you get to the marketing and distribution stage, there's the whole you know, PC police and everyone being so scared. And I just had this great producer, Andy Horowitz on who produced Suicide Squad, great guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were talking about it and, and how they deal with it. And it's so tough right now because, you know, you can, to be truthful, you know, sometimes is is to not be correct and, and politically correct. Because like, 
life doesn't happen in PC. Kids get cancer. You know what I mean? Like things, right. really bad things happen. And it's how we deal with them, good or bad, and how we surmount these demons that it's, it's just like, that's what art is, in my opinion. And what was that like for you <laughs> as a director, as a producer, as a screenwriter, playwriter, you know, all the above, man? Was that a thing that you had to deal with or no? Well, I mean, look, I think this is a unique situation in that it came from a, you know, uh, an art form of theater that is very on the cutting edge of, of social movements. And it's been anointed by that. So I had that confidence and I knew it was battle tested in that regard. Um, and, you know, obviously we are, you're in a time where I'm never worried about how an audience will react to this material. I don't like it when people say, you can't say that. And my response would be like, no, you shouldn't say that irresponsibly. But if it's in service of a theme, artistic or otherwise, you should be able to say that. Yeah. Um, as long as you're doing it on purpose and you're cognizant of it. You know, I, one of my good best friends, Kemp Powers, I don't know if you've ever had him on your show, but great playwright. You know, I've been friends with him for a long time, but and he wrote One Night in Miami. And Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I saw you post about that. Love the dude. And the the sort of the beauty of my relationship, our, our relationship has always been, and, you know, he's a black dude from, from Brooklyn. I'm a white dude from just north of Boston. Yeah. And we always hit it off because class-wise, we're very similar environments that we grew up in. And we both share a love of the arts, but we also had um, upbringings that were completely antithetical to like an artistic upbringing. But from our relationship early on, it was always like we could say anything to each other. Even in, even sometimes in a darkly comic way and totally. in particular about race. And I learned so much by being able to have a non-judgmental friend and bust balls and do that and just speak frankly about stuff. And that was the root of our relationship. And, you know, he he is just he's so smart. But, you know, you have a friend like that who and sometimes, by the way, I would have misconceptions of things. And he'd be like, bro, you're fucking wrong. And I would be like open and listen to that. But it comes out of love. Yeah. So I view a lot of this stuff as that. Like if I'm not seeing something, I'm open to that. So one thing he said early on was like, it always bothers him as a black man when he would see an independent film drop the N word. If it has nothing to do thematically with the story, he's like, you have these like, whatever, these white, uh, edgy white criminals, yeah. and they just start dropping the N bomb left and right. And what the filmmaker is doing is using that word as a shorthand for street cred and edginess and all that stuff. And he's like, that's just lazy and it's bullshit. And I took that to heart. So I was always like, oh, that makes sense. Like, I don't ever want to use a chemical in the, in the recipe that is intentionally, lazily uh, reinforcing all that kind of shit. That being said, especially in small engine repair, the essence, the theme of the movie and the play, but even more so the movie, is to explore these things. Yeah. And, and, and to actually have the audience submerged in a world that is unfiltered, like pull the curtain back. Like, let's get real with each other. Yeah. And it's not done in an untruthful way, but it has to be done in a smart way. Like you can be savage if you're smart. So there's a lot of language in situations that is, you know, uh, you, I don't use lightly and, and you're not used as throwaway jokes, but it's used there with a very clear tactical purpose yeah. to, to, to gain an experience. So 
you know, I don't, I, again, so, so I don't think anyone should say you can never use that. And I, and I'm not, I don't think that's what Kemp was ever saying. It's just like, you've got to be smart about it. You know how like revenge of the nerds, like back when you were a kid and you watched that, like that has some real icky stuff in it, yeah. but it's done in like a lazy jokey way, like high five way of the yeah. time. So, you know, there are some elements in small engine repair that are offensive and, but they're done in, in, in service of, of a deeper meaning, which exactly. again, Theater always, you look, man, theater is like, theater, you don't make a lot of money, typically. It's not a mass uh, art that's consumed, but the benefit was always that you're not censored and you can go to provocative places and do that. Yeah. You know, I know film is a little different. You know, it's it's mass, it's got to be mass consumed, but the, the intent here with our movie was never to make the Big Mac. It was never to make the the mainstream meal that everyone sees and forgetsful. But my biggest fear was to create something that people would be dismissive of, dismissive of or, or lukewarm to or no reaction. Yeah. But I was like, go bold or go home and create something that's emotionally impactful and engages a discussion, which is, to me is what great art can do. Not all art can do it. It's fucking exhausting if everything you watch is like doing that. Yeah. But I so felt true. like, <laughs> let's, let's do it. And by the way, I consume all kinds of art, but you know, sometimes moving the needle in sort of a cultural way or, or just engaging a discussion is, it has to get, you got to get a little dirty and a little uh, raw sometimes. So like, in terms of political correctness, you know, again, that term ha is weaponized. It means a certain thing. You know, I know my audience. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes there's a challenge in terms of the gatekeepers, like who will, you know, set up roadblocks and stuff like that. But I mean, I'm too early in the process to really know. But look, I didn't make a $200 million movie yeah. that everybody needs to love. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Totally. You're very aware. But you of start audience. getting into that whole mechanism and it's situ it's it's designed for that. I think it's you know, similar to coming out with like a punk rock album. Like you don't need to sell 10 million albums. And it wouldn't be that cool if you did, you know? No, it wouldn't <laughs> be cool. Yeah. That's Dude, just I not what this is. I mean, look, <clears throat> I think my greatest fear of this film is that people don't, people don't get it. Like you don't have to like it, but just understand to the intent and the theme and put the work into it. I just like, I, I just don't want people to be lazy in their, in their knee-jerk uh, knee response to it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, I, I mean, I, inevitably some will, I, I guess, but, like, that's all. You know, when you put this much work into something, you're like, I hope that people, and, and, and in my experience, they have, and they, and they will, but will feel challenged by the material and really get what it's about. Well, you absolutely achieved it man i mean i wouldn't be talking to you nine years later if this narrative didn't have such a profound impact on me and now i know it's going to happen with the world but you know i mean it's just it's it, it i wish people could see the play in some ways and in, in this and because of how different it is but i'm just so fucking proud of you dude like this is a a beautiful piece of art and and it's so wonderful and and now you get to like hang it up on the shelf finally man you did it you know just fight the worldwide pandemic, despite every fucking obstacle in the world, you did it, dude. And I'm just, yeah, so proud no, of you. well, I really appreciate that. <clears throat> and again, I, I, you know, I just need to get, you know, the John and I were just talking and we're like, I just, you know, it's finally, it's coming out, you know, yeah. come what may. And it, it feels so good to just hope to move beyond that. Cause like this, this thing was done, you know, a year and a half ago and, yeah. and like hardly anyone 
has seen it. And, you know, I'm sure they've sent it out now to reviewers or blah, 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 all this stuff. We're certainly doing a ton of press on it, but like, you don't make a movie for that. Yeah. You know, you make it so that people will enjoy it. And I look at myself and I think about the movies that have been so impactful to me. And in many ways, I just discovered them at some period of my life when I needed to see them. And I think I'm just excited to put something out there that, you know, people will just, you know, five years from now, someone will check it out and be like, wow, I, you know, I kind of heard about this, but I never saw it or, or whatever. And and I'm excited to see how, you know, it evolves. And as my, as my body of work continues and, and John's and Shay's and, and Jordana and everyone continues to have that. You have the completionists who go back and check it out. So it's just, it's out there in that. I, I'm just really excited to be part of, to, to finally be putting something that I feel this is so distinctly my vision out within the pantheon of, of the medium that I love so much, yeah. which is well, movies. It's going to come back tenfold for you, which guides me into my next question is what's next for you? Do you feel the urge to, I know you're writing, you got the Hulk Hogan thing, right? Or is that done? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much done, but that was, uh, you know, I, which I wrote with Scott Silver and <clears throat> you know, that that's, you know, we're pretty much done that, but I mean, I'm working on a ton of stuff. Nice. Um, and I, you know, I've never not been busy. Um, I'm dying to direct again. I, I was going to say what's on your periphery. I, I loved it. I mean, directing, being on the set of that movie was the first time I felt like my whole brain was active. Yeah. It was just all there. And, and I felt phases of that acting in something or being on stage or writing something, but that was the first time it was like all there. And it Fire was kind of like, yeah. Look, I love working with directors, you know, uh, Andrew Block, who did the original version of the play, and then Joe Bonney, who's become a frequent collaborator in the theater world, you know, uh, David Gordon Green, you know, all these great actors, uh, great directors that I've worked with in film, Frank Darabont, and, and, you know, like Pete Berg, I did a movie with him. Like, I just love that. And when you're writing for someone that you really respect, it's really fun. It's a fun zone, but it's kind of like, it's like me uh to some extent like doing re renovations on our house it's like my wife's the boss you know i have great ideas but like her ideas are always better so when you're writing for someone else you're you're empowering them and you're collaborating in it but at the end of the day the director has to make those choices so being in that seat that feed that loop of 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 all of that i it was uh i've never felt so fucking present and alive and i'm i'm really excited to get back in there and uh and do it again for the one day I was on, you seemed to be one of the happiest dudes in the world, man. It was it was a pleasure to watch. Oh, that's right. When you yeah. were you were in that yeah. bar scene, it was like yeah. three Suenos in the yeah yeah in the in the scene. So no, that was great. I mean, that was a fun day. That was like one of the lighter days in terms of I just needed a little, as you see in the movie that. I shot so much good shit there. Yeah, so it had to get, yeah, it was it. so good. <laughs> and uh, that was actually some of the stuff that day that john and and uh, and and badge and and pj and, and our, our really good buddy sean kerrigan some of the banter that those guys had was fucking hilarious it just didn't fit in the movie yeah and i'm like god please be a big enough hit that so i can, you can get the real <laughs> and have all those outtakes yeah. i mean there's like an hour of material there oh, just being a, a jackass it's amazing i fucking loved it dude that's so great do, do you Right now, I mean, do you have anything lined up in the theater world or do you kind of feel done with that for a little while? No, I mean, look, I mean, theater's suffering more than anything in, yeah. in, in COVID. I have some play ideas. Uh, I, I, I'm dying to get back into theater. I love it um, so much. You know, the play, did you ever see Rules of Seconds? That I read it. So that, yeah. you know, we were gearing up to do a production in New York. Uh, I had a, 
great producer on it and everybody was there was interest was sort of building up before this thing hit so now who the fuck knows yeah but uh and i have a couple of new ideas but um you know it's it's just finding the time and and, and juggling all that stuff and you know well dude i'm so proud of you man i mean yeah i'm trying to do the writing myself now because you know this fucking acting game it doesn't come easy so uh yeah man I oh yeah you. i know i hear that <laughs> so well, writing is a great oper- thing. Um, you know, it's something you can control. It's something you can do. It's great discipline. And it's like yeah. nothing bad will come out of it. And then maybe you have a knack, maybe things click. Um, you know, I think my advice to you and just knowing the two muscles is that uh, the the way you build a character and things evolve and change. I mean, you really got to look at writing as like construction and not like sitting there and, and harnessing the the gods and creating art yeah. and beauty. It's really about about building something. Totally, which has been tough for me in sobriety. You know, so because I used to drink and it would just come out, and now the self edit thing is something. Yeah, one day I'll have to get advice from you about but dude i'm I, I mean where can so where can we get the word out about this i know i'll post this on instagram i'll tag it but like where can people that want to see the movie check the movie out i mean it comes out in theaters september 10th um i think you just have to like google to see where it is near you it's planted a bunch of you know most major cities have uh, have a handful of theaters that is playing out <laughs> so like you know. the new york's dcs of the world and yeah so absolutely you got it the, yeah. the, those for sure and then a lot of other places too, you know, like, uh, you know, well, I'm going to go yeah, obviously San Francisco, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, go, go opening night. And then let me know what people think. Uh, I, you look again, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if people are going to movies. you know, I don't know if people are going to gritty indie movies right now. Like, I don't know. So let's see what goes. <laughs> well, I'm going to make sure they go this podcast. Right, dude, you guys heard it. First. I appreciate it. I yeah. appreciate it. Man. All right, dude. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. Have a good All right. one. All right.